the 12th Psalm, which is a Psalm of David. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. They speak vanity, every one with his neighbor, with flattering lips, and with a double heart do they speak. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things, who have said, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? For the oppression of the poor, for the sign of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord, I will set him in safety from him that puffed at him. The words of the Lord are pure words, a silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. Help, Lord. Help, the cry of David, a pleading for God to come and save him. And what was the cause for this? Well, the cause was the, the godly man had ceased. The faithful had fallen from the children of men. This is a psalm of one who is being persecuted, one who is being um, harmed by the world, hunted by the world. And he looks around and it just seems like Everything around him is crumbling. He looks out into the society and says, where are the godly men? Where are the faithful? He cries out help. That feels like the world that we live in, a world of lies, a world of deceit, that you just look out and said, what has happened to, to the world? What has happened to society? What has happened to uh, the faithful? And it just seems like they're falling away, crumbling away. We live in a time of untruthfulness and a time of deceit. But we read this psalm and we can know that this is not the first time in history that feel like that and maybe every generation I don't know maybe every generation feels um, the, the same about their generation but it sure does feel like that the words of the wicked the words of the ungodly have increased and just the, the words of the wicked prevail that lying and deceit and flattery and, and proud talk become, is the, the byword of the day I read uh, there's a little boy that was trying to quote scripture and he got a couple of verses mixed up in his mind when he was quoting scripture and he said, a lie is an abomination unto the Lord and a very present help in trouble. And uh, that's kind of the way people deal with the truth today and the scriptures today that, that yes, a lie is an abomination but it's a, it's a pretty good help when we get into trouble. Uh, justifying ungodly talk and, and truth is, is relative and Yet, uh, it seems like there's no uh, shame anymore 
in, in telling a lie and, and speaking untruth. Well, that's how the psalmist feels. And he says, help, help, Lord. He cries out, help, because the godly man has ceased. Where are the godly men? Where are the faithful men? Or the good men? As he looks out, it seems like the, the faithful has just come to a screeching halt. Not that he's saying that, that he's the only one on earth that was, was faithful and that he was the only godly man, but, but as he looks out, it just seems like that the, there's just a, a decrease in, in truthfulness and in faithfulness. He says, help, Lord, the godly man ceaseth. Help, Lord, the faithful fail. The faithful men are disappearing from the land. Times are getting darker and, and more wicked. Where are the faithful men who are faithful to the truth? Where are the faithful men who are faithful to God? Where are the faithful men who are faithful to their families? He may have looked and said, where are the faithful men who are faithful to the God of Israel, to, to the nation God has given us, to the, to the laws that God has provided for us, for the, the separation that God has called us to? Where are the faithful men? Help, Lord. Well, in what way? What way? Does David look out upon the world and look up upon the nation, the situation he finds himself? In what way does he find them to be unfaithful? In what way does he not see the consistency of a godly man in the lives of the people? Well, he, he, he tells us in what way is it? How is it that the godly and the faithful are no more? What's most keenly felt and seen as we see here in the words in which the people are speaking. And you can, know, you can actually divide the psalm into two parts about words. Because the first part is about the words of the wicked. So he says, help, the faithful men are, are falling away. Well, why? Why are you saying that? Because they speak vanity. Flattering lips, a double heart do they speak. And in verse 3, you have the flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. With our tongue we will prevail. And so verse 4 is a quote. And in verse 5, you find the, the oppression. So these are empty words. But the words of the Lord are pure words in verse 6. So, there's despair because the godly have ceased and it's evidenced by the words that they speak. The unfaithful words have, have taken hold of the land. But there, are, there is hope in God. His hope is in the Lord because the Lord's words are pure. The ungodly are unfaithful and because they're unfaithful, they speak lies. But God is faithful. And because he is faithful, he speaks truth. And so that's how you, the two things that you have, when you, when you see the, the ungodly, they can't be trusted. The unfaithful can't be trusted because um, from within, or from within is that ungodliness and unfaithfulness, which spews forth the lies and the vanity and the flattery and so forth. 
But when we turn to our God, we can trust him because he is faithful and we can trust his words. So he says, help, Lord. They are speaking vanity, empty words, worthless words, useless words, ungodly words. How many words a day we speak, it's hard to say, but, but of those words, how many are just empty or, or worthless or useless? And then you think about people who don't know the Lord. How many idle words are said and spoken and, and untruths and useless? And, and I'm not saying everything that you say has to be a sermon, uh, but, but emptiness, lies, deceit, good for nothing, useless. I mean, a, a good, nice good morning can make somebody's day, right? You can tell somebody good morning, ask them how they're doing, and, and I just help them along the way. It's a, a word fitly spoken. And so I'm not even talking about things like that. I'm just talking about words of, of depravity and, and ungodliness. Everything that he heard was, was wicked and vile, it would seem. Then he goes on, help, Lord. They, they flatter. Their words are as smooth as butter. They're flattering words. But they come from a double heart. That's the kind of words of a person that will praise you to your face and curse you behind your back. Friendly to you when they need something. Friendly to you when they, they want something from you. Or when they're around you. And then tell the next person the same thing, right? They, they, they'll tell you whatever you wanted to hear to, to befriend you and to, to flatter you and lift you up. Puff you up and lift you up as long as they need you and then dump you to the side. That, that's a flattering word. That's a, a flatterer, a double-minded person that manipulates and, and uses people and sees their words as tools to, to get people to do what they want them to do. There are a lot of religious flatterers that will, will say uh, what they think other Christians want them to, to say and, and say the right church words and so forth, but, but inwardly don't, don't mean a thing, don't believe a thing of them. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 15 and verse 7 through 9. The hypocrites of his day. Sounded very pious and sounded very religious. But Jesus says hypocrites. They're just acting. Because well did Isaiah the prophet Isaiah prophesied of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their lips, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. They worshiped with the mouth, but their heart was going in a different direction. Their heart was going one way, and their mouth was going another. And so, what's bad about this is I can only go by what somebody tells me. I, I, I can't see into your heart. You can't see into my heart. And you go and talk to somebody, and they can say, oh, I love Jesus, and, and uh, 
I'm, uh, I love the Lord and, and all these different things, but inwardly, they, they don't know the first thing about the Lord. They don't know the first thing about the truth of the gospel. And so David looks out and says, and sees all the flattering lips, the double-hearted that, that say one thing and believe another and, and can't be trusted. It's hard to trust a double-minded man. It's hard to trust someone that will tell you whatever they want to hear or whatever they think you want to hear. It's a desperate situation. He finds himself in a desperate situation because of the depravity of man. This is just the natural, natural man working itself out. Why, why have the faithful failed? Why have the godly man ceased? Because this is just the natural man. It's a desperate situation because of the deficiency of godly men, even the deficiency of our own righteousness. We can look at ourselves in the mirror and see that the, these sins even in ourselves, desperate because there's no one to help. How is David in this desperate situation, who's going to come and help him? If, if the godly man ceaseth, if the faithful fail, then who's going to come and help him? He looks around and, and thinks all men are liars. And, and who can help? David can't help himself. And it seems like there's no one he can call on to help him. He's in a desperate situation because of sin. And the society is in a desperate situation because of sin. And he, he sees where this is headed. The last verse says, The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. Whenever this happens, there's wicked everywhere. The vile men are in control. The vile men lead the way. And whenever the vile men lead the way, then the wicked are everywhere. When, when truth and godliness and faithfulness aren't upheld, then the wicked have sway. And that's bad for, for just society in general. The sins of the mouth destroy. They destroy. They separate friends. It ruins churches. It kills character of other people. It destroys neighbors. And when there's a lack of godly, faithful men, there's a rise in wicked and evil people. The people mourn. And there's, there, there's no one to come and to help except the Lord. He turns, help us, Lord. Help well, the Lord tells us what he thinks of all these things because the Lord will judge the sins of the mouth. The Lord hates these things. He will judge the sins of the mouth. Notice that he will judge the flattering lips. He, he'll cut off the flattering lips. There'll be a day when the flatterers will be no more, where they'll speak no more lies, where they'll puff up no more. 
they're a dangerous people, as you see at the end of verse number five, because he will set in safety from him that puffeth at him. Flattery might not seem like a uh, a bad thing, but it's a, it is a deceitful and, and dangerous sin. And the Lord will judge the, the sins of the mouth. He'll judge the proud. The tongue that speaketh proud things. The tongue that says, says who? My lips are my own. My mouth is my own. I'll do whatever I want. My body's my own, and I'll do whatever I want with it. My mouth, my words are my own. I'll do whatever I want with it. This is a free country, and we have freedom of speech, and I'll say whatever I want, and say whatever I want to anybody I want to. Well, our country may have a freedom of speech, but that doesn't mean that our words are not judged and that our words are not heard by God and judged by God. Just because you can say anything that you want to doesn't mean that you ought to say anything that you want to. And whenever the, the wicked prevail, the ability to say whatever you want far exceeds uh, God's regulation of our mouth and our tongue. Um, we went and watched Elijah... Me and Chris went and watched Elijah yesterday at the, the ball game. He's playing the, in the band, and and they said this is a family stadium, and they're going to refresh, you know, watch your mouth, in other words. There's, there's families here. We don't want to hear any bad language and that kind of thing. Well, there wasn't a, very many people there at the game, and so the football players, uh, they get tackled. You hear them carrying on, and, they was talking like football players talk, I guess. And, uh, and you could hear them down the field and, and somebody would get a tackle and they'd play the music on the loudspeakers. And, and you know, that, I don't know if that, they don't rate music, I don't guess, but if the lyrics had a rating, it'd be rated R to say the least. And just the, the words that were in the songs and the themes that were in the songs. And, and I thought, well, my goodness, you, you don't really want a family-friendly atmosphere here at this ballgame if this is what you're going to listen to and this is what you're going to play. But you know what? Nobody says a word. Nobody bats an eye. It's commonplace. That, that it just, that's just the way that it is. We can say what we want. We can say anything. That, and and the, the godliness, the godly speech has, has just gone away. I'm not so naive to think that people in power don't talk with filthy mouths and, and haven't always done so. But, when it come, but whenever it's commonplace to hear uh, people in authority and people who are supposed to be have some dignity about them for respect to their office and just don't have any respect for it, it's, uh, it trickles down. Whenever the people in the highest authority don't have any control over the mouth and things that trickles down and, and how you know how are you going to have leaders with a filthy mouth and then tell somebody a, a teenager well you got to watch your mouth why it says who my lips are my own I can say whatever I want who's lord over me it says who why do I have to watch my mouth why can't I lie why can't I flatter why can't I speak proud things it says who Well, when the godly man ceaseth and the faithful fail among the children of men, then what's the answer to that? 
I can say God says so. God says your lips are not your own. God says he is Lord over you. But whenever the godly cease, then the vilest men are exalted. And they say, I don't care what God says. This is my mouth. I'll say what I want. Who's going to be Lord over me? It's a desperate situation, isn't it? When, when even the, just the natural affection has, has gone from a land and from a time where the restraints of common grace seem to be um, loosed. And the people are given more and more over to their, their own wicked ways. That is the judgment of God, according to Romans chapter 1, that God gives people over to their reprobate mind. The Lord will judge. You and I live in dangerous and perilous times. The last days are, are dangerous and perilous times, Paul told us. But notice some of these things that describe the perilous times in 2 Timothy 3. Perilous, in the last days, perilous times will come, for men shall be lovers of their own self, covetous boasters, proud, blasphemers. And then verse number 3, we skip some of these, and it says false accusers, despisers of those that are good. So there in this list of things that characterize uh, the last days and make times perilous, almost half of them have to do with either pride or boasting, un unholiness, ungodliness. Just as the psalmist says in Psalm 12, when he lived in perilous times and he said, Help, Lord. Help. On the other hand, I can read this and feel, and feel this and experience in some degree of the pain of, of being on the receiving end of all this. You have to. You've been lied about and lied to and, and flattered and, and mocked and made fun of, no doubt. But then I also read this and remember that I've been on the other side of that equation too. Because there's not one of us here that hasn't sinned with our mouth, who hasn't spoke proud things, who hasn't thought that they could talk their way out of anything, who hasn't thought, well, I'll say what I want, and I'll, I'll do what I want. Sometimes thoughts and memories will come back in my mind. I just cringe at, at things that I have said or things that I have done. And my conscience is smitten by my own sins and feel the sting of condemnation. And, and read these things about the judgment of God cutting off the sinners. And think, I'm right there with them. I'm right there with them in, uh, because I have also committed those sins. And feel the weight of the law. Being reminded of what I've done or said to people. How easy those words just flowed out of my mouth. 
what can you say in those situations? When you read this and, and you stop for a minute and stop thinking about society and you start looking in the mirror and say, well, I've done these things. What can you say? Except help, Lord. Help. Help, Lord, I've not been faithful. Help, Lord, I've not been consistent. Help, Lord, I've not I've spoken vanity and I've fla- uh, flattered and I've been I've spoken proudly. Help, Lord. That is the cry of the, the, the weary. That is the cry of the sinner. That is the cry of the one who's being persecuted. That is the cry of the, God, the godly man who sees ungodliness. Help, Lord. That is the cry of the ungodly man who sees ungodliness in his own self. Help, Lord. That is the cry of, of sinners. That is the cry of the saved. Help, Lord. Because the Lord does help. He does help. In verse number 5, For the oppression of the poor, for the sign of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. Help, Lord. So, so the cry is to the Lord for help. It is not a cry that society would, would change their hearts. There was not a cry for more legislation or, or this or that. It is a cry for the Lord to come and help. The answer to our societal problems is for the Lord to help, for the Lord to save, for the Lord to deliver. Because you can't change people's hearts. You can't change uh, people's nature. But, the, but God can. God can change. God can take the stony heart and make it a heart of flesh. God can take the old man and then born him again and, and give them the man a new nature. The Lord will help. He rises up. So we see in the imagery that that there are people being persecuted. The poor are, are, are broken and they're, they're in need of help. And the cry, help, Lord. And the Lord rises to help. The Lord comes to save. The Lord helps because the Lord saves. The poor and needy were oppressed. And the Lord came and saved them. The powerful may persecute and oppress people and they might not have any champion. They might not have anyone to come and save them. They abuse them and, and, and use them. And, and here you have poor and oppressed people with no one on their side except the Almighty God. And it's much better to have the Almighty God on your side than all the political powers or all the powers of of this world can have together uh, to 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 come and save you. They cried to the Lord, and the Lord came. And when they cry to the Lord, they cry out to Jehovah, as we see there in verse number five, the 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 covenant keeping God, the God who keeps His promises. Help, Lord. We see Lord there in all caps. Help, Lord. Help, Jehovah. Help you who keeps your word and keeps your promises. Come and save those whom you've promised to save. Help those who are poor and needy. 
Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who look and see that they have nothing of themselves as worthy of, of God's blessing, and they see themselves as poor and wretched sinners, poor in spirit, seeing that there is in themselves no good thing. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Who look at their poor spirit, their destitute of righteousness and godliness, and cry out, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Who humble themselves in, in faith before the Lord Jesus Christ, crying out, Lord, help. And blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled for a righteousness that is not within them, but a righteousness that they need, a righteousness that is alien to them, outside of them, a righteousness in the righteous one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed are those who are poor and know that they're poor and, and who mourn for their own sin, who come broken before the Lord and hunger and thirst after the righteousness that is only found by a faith, the righteousness of God, the righteousness of of Jesus Christ. For when the sinner cries out, Help, Lord, the Lord saves. The Lord saves sinners. Well, if we are weak and we have sinned and deficient in our own righteousness and in our own godliness, then we have a helper, don't we? The Almighty God will help. Jesus saves the sinner. Arise, Lord, and help. Well, Jesus arose from heaven and came, born of a virgin, to seek and save the lost, to redeem those in the bondage of sin, to set the captives free, to heal the brokenhearted, to give sight to the blind, to set liberty those who are, who are bruised. The Lord helps because the Lord is truthful. In verse 6, it says the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Will the Lord really do that? Will Jesus really save the lost? Will he really heal the brokenhearted? You might say, I'm brokenhearted. Will the Lord really heal? I'm in bondage to the sin. Will, will the Lord really set me free? I mourn in my spirit over my sin. Will the Lord really comfort me? Will Jesus really save me? Will he really in no wise cast me out if I come to him? Will he really not break the bruised reed? Will he really not quench the smoking flax? The words of the Lord are pure words. The promises of God are sure. You might not be able to trust man as far as you can throw him, but you can trust God. The promises of God and Jesus Christ are pure. People may lie to you, but God won't lie to you. People may flatter you, but God won't flatter you. That's one thing that you'll notice. You read through the Gospels, that's one thing that Jesus did not do. He did not flatter people. He did not 
by just telling what they wanted to hear. Oftentimes, he told them what they didn't want to hear. But the Lord Jesus Christ would not flatter you. He would tell you lovingly. He told his disciples hard things, but he, taught, he loved them. He cared for them. But he certainly wasn't going to lie to them. God won't flatter us. God won't lie to us. He won't deceive us. Jesus had a team of lawyers go at him time and time again to try to trip him up, trying to find some falsehood in him. But you know what they never found? They never found falsehood. Well, if you had a team of lawyers digging through transcripts of every word that you ever spoke, well, they'd be able to find a false word here or there. They'd be able to find a flattering word. They'd be able to find um, something to trip you up on. So, well, here, back in uh, 1985, you said this, 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 and this, and, and now you say the opposite. You're inconsistent here. Explain yourself. You know, it wouldn't take very long for, for somebody to find that, but not with the Lord Jesus. For 2,000 years, the haters of God have been going through the Bible trying to find um, errors and, and, and ways to uh, prove the Bible false. And you'd think after 2,000 years they'd give up or quit trying, but no, they, it's the same old story generation after generation. Um, this morning I was uh, reading, or yesterday, I was reading a little bit about uh, uh, the Gospel of John in that commentary um, on John 18. And this guy was writing this in um, the, the late 1800s. And he was saying, he said, the skeptics and the atheists try to use this to trip people up as far as inconsistency in the, in the scripture. But he, he said, this is, people have, have dealt with this for centuries. And he quoted people, you know, from the 1500s and 1400s, and 1300s. I think he quoted somebody from the 300s even that he had studied. But my point is, the same objections that he was talking about then, people say the same things now about the falsehood of the Bible. And even though for 2,000 years, Christians have had an answer for their, uh, their, their objections. And so it's not an inconsistency, you just don't know the Bible. You just don't know the scriptures. You're not thinking rationally about it because there is not an inconsistency. Well, every generation, they keep rehashing the same thing. But my point is, Jesus is always true. The Bible is always true. The words of the Lord are pure words. It's like you take silver and you put it in there and you, you melt it down, you get out the impurities, and you say it's pretty pure. Well, let's do it again. And you get it hot and, and the impurities bubble up to the top, you skim it off and, and it cools. You say, well, let's do it one more time. And there's more impurities. Well, let's do it again. Seven times. That silver has been purified. Well, that's the picture of the word of God. It is pure. No impurities, no, no errors. There's never a false word with God, never an over-exaggeration. It's always truthful. You don't have to say, well, God really didn't mean these promises and blessings to me. No, he is always truthful. You can believe Jesus. You can trust Jesus. You can cling to the promises of Jesus. And you can cry out, help, Lord. And he will help because he is faithful to promised. God speaks truth because he is true. God's word is sure because he is faithful. 
And so why, it's a comparison here that the ungodly are on the rise, the wicked are exalted, and their wicked hearts and their ungodliness comes out of their hearts into the words that they speak, and you can't trust them, you can't believe them. But the words of the Lord are pure because he is pure. They are good because he is good. They are true because he is true. And so you can trust them. Because he says, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. There's safety. The end of verse number five, I will set him in safety. In verse seven, I shall, thou shalt keep them. Thou shalt preserve them. You don't want to build a safety net with your own righteousness. You can try to build financial safety, financial security, but inflation can come along and eat up a person's savings overnight. You can try to make it by your own strength, but sooner or later the strength fails. But, but the text says that Jesus will set us in safety. We can have safety from the judgment. We can have safety in our death because God will set us in safety. I will set him in safety. I will protect him. God will preserve us. We don't have to make it by our own strength. We don't have to make it by our own hands. He will preserve us. He will deliver us. He will keep us. So whenever we have fallen, we can say, Lord, help us, and he will save. When we are persecuted, we can say, Lord, help us, and he will deliver us. When we live in perilous times, we can say, Lord, help us, and he will keep us. Whenever we are in dangerous times and full of liars and the ungodly has ceased, we can say, Lord, help us, and he will preserve us. The words of the Lord are true words, are good words, wholesome words, pure words. Men can't be trusted. The first part of this is about the false words of the wicked, but the second part of this is about the true words of God. There's despair in the words of men. There's despair because the ungodly and unfaithful speak lies because that's what they are. They're their they're father who speaketh, speaketh lies. Anymore, you can't trust the news. You can't trust your leaders. You can't trust what you read on the internet. You can't trust what you see on the internet half the time. Um, there's fake news and fake preachers and false gospels. Lies and deception on every hand. Help, Lord. That is the cry of God's people. Help, Lord. Why do we call to the Lord to help? Because you can trust him. Because he said he would. He said that he would keep us in safety. He said that he would preserve us. He said that he would keep us from this, this generation forever. He said that he would be with his people. He would not leave his people. He would not forsake his people. That he would save those who call out to him um, to, for, for salvation. That those who would come to him in faith and trust in him, he would save them. And you can believe him. You can believe Jesus because the words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified 
seven times. And David says that and looks up to the Lord and says, Lord, thou shalt keep them. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. You can trust the Lord. You can trust his promises. May God help us to do so, to, to cling to Christ and trust his promises and know that he's never lied to us and he never will. His words are pure. Pray to God to bless us this evening.